Blog Talk Radio. Before we welcome our featured guest of the evening, I'd like to go around the horn and first up to Connecticut where we got uh, the rich part of our uh, co-conspirators, if you will. Uh, Mr. Rich Spirago, how you doing, man? Doing well tonight. Um, you know, we're, we're past the uh, 20th of January, which means that we're on the downhill slide into spring training and a new baseball season. So feeling good about that. Well, uh, you know, give a little shout-out to Greg Prince. He always keeps us privy to the baseball equinoxes, he likes to say. And I think it's somewhere in December, but we're way past it at this point. Uh, And let's go down to Brooklyn, where we got uh, the Mike section of our co-conspirators, and that's Mr. Mike LaColon. What's going on, Mike? Good evening, Sam. Good evening, Rich, and good evening to everyone listening out there. My baseball season never ends. I'm knee-deep in Winter League baseball. And we're, we're going to uh, uh, head all the way out to Arizona uh, um, and, and with a little detour to New Jersey uh, with that 201 area code you got. And, and that's uh, Anna right. Bryce coming at you live. Please uh, welcome to a Metzian podcast. Thank you very much. Hello, gentlemen. It's really great to be with you once again. I appreciate the invitation. And before we get into what is obviously the starter for the night, uh, I'd like to uh, give you an opportunity to let everybody know uh, where they can find you, what you do, uh, your shameless plug, as we like to say. And I I, I think I'd also like you to uh, get a little George straight. Ah, yes. So where you can find me, my company is Pinnacle Peak Marketing, and that's named a beautiful mountain here in Arizona called Pinnacle Peak. It's not too far from my home. But uh, I'm here in Scottsdale, Arizona, and real easy to find me on Twitter. It's just at Anna Bryce, B-R-I-C-E. So um, nothing unusual, just my first name and my last name. And, yes, as Sam alludes to, I'm a New Jersey girl who loves the Mets, loves the Rangers, Now that I've moved to Arizona, I'm a huge Arizona Cardinals fan. We are season ticket holders. And although I do still root for the Giants and the Jets, but very unusual to being a Jersey girl is my complete love of George Strait, my favorite singer in the world, my favorite celebrity in the world, the only person I want to meet in the world Um, when his songs come on my radio I have a physical reaction I have to like sway to the music I get a stupid smile on my face that can't that just doesn't leave my face 
until the song is over, and I'm always tapping on the steering wheel. So, yes, George Strait is my favorite, favorite person. It's my ringtone. It's my phone (laughs) case. Yes. (laughs) So I wear a Met. Yeah, what I was going to say is I wear a Met necklace and a Rangers necklace and walk around with a George Strait phone case. So I I got them all covered. Oh yeah, that's you're you're a triple threat there. Um, yeah, you know it was really interesting to see that part of your profile. I, I don't know why it had taken me so long to to see that part. So I figured we'd uh, we'd have a little George Strait moment. So thank you. And yeah. um, let's get right best. into it. And I'm going to go right back to you, Anna, um, uh, about the the debacle that began the week. You know, <sighs> even though we have new reaction to the way things go with this team. And, and it's clear that there's a new sheriff in charge, if you will. Uh, it, it, you right. Know, this offseason hasn't been completely without hiccups. So when you heard the news about Jared Porter and all the details that were filled in all of that, what, you know, what, what was your first take and, and, and how did you react? Oh, uh, my goodness. I just, you know, so the news broke. Monday, and I think it was pretty late in the day, wasn't it? And if it wasn't late in the day, I was late in the day getting on to Twitter. But I happened to come across our friend Mary's tweet that said something like, please tell me what I'm seeing is not true about our GM. And then all of a sudden it just exploded, like from there. And I I just don't know what to say. So I'm going to give you the female perspective. I find this very frustrating that this kind of thing just keeps happening over and over and over again. Um, I know you guys must be like, how is this, like, what is wrong with my fellow man? Like, why are they doing this? So it just was, it was almost a little depressing because it looked like a really good hire from what I could see in all the press when we hired him. Everybody said, you guys got a good, a good guy in there. That's a good one, you know? So it's just such a bummer. And I think, you know, and what's really a bummer is he was a good story, right? He started out as an intern, worked his way up, you know, over how many years, then he becomes an assistant GM at a certain point and gets his big break for GM. And I realize this happened five years ago, but just don't understand what possesses a guy to be working really hard to get where he wants to, at least career-wise to completely risk screwing it up with something really stupid. I don't get it. I'm not a guy, so I don't have the guy mindset, but I don't get it. I just don't get it. Uh, Rich, so you I'm know, bummed she about hit on it. so yeah. many good I'm points I'm bummed there. about it. Uh, and, and and that is exactly where I was going to start too. Was was Rich? I'm 
everything she just said about how he was the next in line, if you will. And I think we'll also get into the fact that the next in line continues to be men in many ways, except for Kim Ng in, Mar- uh, in, in Florida. Um, right. But, it, and you know, by the he, way, he was the next in line. Yeah, go ahead. Um, two years ago, when we were searching before they hired Brody, Kim Ng was in the mix. And I don't really know what happened. Like, was she not interested were we not interested? We, you know, we, the Mets and I. Um, I wanted Kim Eng two years ago, and I don't know how you guys feel about that, but did you watch Sandy on Tuesday morning? I think the Mets have handled this really well, and I don't know if you all are happy with how they handled it. I think Steve handled it well. Um, even his comments on Twitter, you know, with people criticizing him. Um, I think Sandy handled the press conference really well. And one of the questions was from a female reporter, and I can't remember, uh, wish I remembered who, but it was from a female reporter. And she said, because he made a point of saying that they had spoken to a lot of references and everybody, you know, gave rave reviews. And he also said, I can't bust their chops. Like, I don't know that any of them could have possibly known this was going on. Um, and, and that's a fair point. So the female reporter said, were any of the references you spoke to women? And he said, no. And he paused mm-hmm. and he said, you know, it was kind of like a little bit of a silence. And then he said, and there lie, therein lies the problem. There really aren't any women in our industry at this level that could be a reference. So, again, I find it very frustrating that he's right. There are no women at this level that he could have called for a reference. Um, I don't know how much it would have mattered because a woman at that level, would he have been trying to behave that way to a woman, you know, an executive versus someone who's not an executive? I don't know. But um, it was an interesting question. I think he answered it really well. And then he went to talk on how that really is a societal problem, which it is a societal problem, right? Because, Um, many segments in society, we can say the same thing. There's not a lot of CEOs. There's not a lot of, um, you know, the C-suite. We can say that in almost every industry. We can even say it in uh, female-dominated industries that they're not even the highest paid or the top spots, you know. So it's a problem, Um, I hope we see more of this, right? If I'm not mistaken, I think the Marlins have two high executives who are female, and um, that's unusual in baseball. And exactly. I I mean, there's just so many things that this brings up, not only about baseball, but society as a whole. And, you know, Rich, uh, especially the fact that – 
everybody like like we're at the point that you can't even go 12 hours overnight you know and, and people are bringing up Willie Randolph getting fired at 3 a.m. but that's that's right. the exception considering that we all criticize uh, them so rich you know yes for one like sandy when you think about with with Wilmer Flores and the trade that didn't happen uh and that sandy admitted fault was a rare thing uh, that happened in the front office uh during the Wilpon era um, you know, I, I think it does bring up like why why is it for for one why is it that this keeps happening and why is it that this stuff keeps getting set on as ESPN and the Cubs did for five years? Th- that's the part of it that is perplexing. I mean, first of all, you know, with somebody like Porter having done what he did, it goes beyond baseball. It goes beyond you know, male, it's a sick human being. It's sick. And, and, and I mean that, and, and he's someone who needs help. And for his sake, I hope he gets that help because you don't do that if you're a normal person. So that's the first thing. Um, right. So the second, right. Right. I mean, this is a sick person. It doesn't matter if he works in baseball, yeah. doesn't matter if he works in a retail store or in a Starbucks as a barista, it's a sick person. Right. Yeah. Um, no, you're right. Yeah. That's number one. Now, the thing that I find here's where I'm going to flip it on you, Anna, because you're right. What you said, not being a woman, I don't understand this perspective, but I know a lot of women don't come forward when, you know, they are sexually targeted like that. Right. Um, I, I guess I understand it in the sense that if you know the person and you fear uh, your safety, but not coming forward, I guess you, you face the stigma of it all. And I suppose that's what it is. And it's a shame. And I feel bad that she had to hold that. Because think about it, not only did he offend her with what he did, she had to carry that around for five years. And that's, you know, she, right. I'm sure she talks about it every day, right? And it's right. probably very healing for her now that it's out and she could begin to heal from it. But, um, but it's amazing how this happens, you know, and, and, um, and it, it gets, and no one finds out five years now I granted okay she didn't come forward you mean to tell me that and I guess you know there were pictures to her phone or whatever and maybe she didn't tell anyone and no one talked her into it it's amazing how in this day and age of of rapid dissemination of information that it didn't get out and um, and so you know getting back to what you were all saying about um, the way the Mets handled it, yeah, they get an A+. Plus. I mean, it came out, you were right, Anna. It came out 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern time on Monday okay. night. And, right. Yeah, and he was gone by 8.30 on Tuesday morning. Right, uh, right. I remember to uh, Boomer and Geo, like, in a, at the 8.30 update, it was like, oh, he's out. Um, so the Mets did a nice job, and everything, everything is, is true. Everything is right. You know, should they have talked to female reporters or just women in general? Yes. And is that a learning that teams in any sport and people hiring in any business can learn from? Yeah. And hopefully, you know, there was a learning that took place here. Um, so, but the part about it, though, again, is that it was kept under wraps for five years. And, and, and I sort of understand it, you know, from her perspective, but that it never got out and, all these people you talk to, you know, you got the choir boy thing. And, um, and this was, it's also like a little indiscretion, you know, where you, know, you got drunk one night, you know, and, and um, acted stupid. I mean, this is a really bad thing. And, and it never came out, which 
Um, wow. That's all I was. That's the part that surprised me the most. The part that surprised me the most was, okay, it's awful. It happened, all these things. And then when I saw the timing of it, that it was five years ago, that put, that just put me over the edge. I, I just couldn't believe it. And the Cubs knowing, mm-hmm. and, and again, I'm not even sure what level they know, uh, but I even question right. how the D-backs did not know. The D-backs had them for four years. And, and that's the so troubling the, part, too, is that the people in the know just let him go about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, mm-hmm. we might may even find out uh, coming up that he did this to more women. Um, so, well, like, you know, yeah. Right. And, and I, what's, what's cra- You know, I think Sandy and Steve have uh, handled this very well and much better than we could ever imagine Jeff Wilfon handling it. Um, but you yeah. know, there is a buzz that Steve Cohen has not been completely innocent back in his financial dealings with both uh, verbal and sexual uh, stuff. Um, and right. there could, it could be the thing that we also forget about, uh, that, that kind of just gets wiped off the face of the earth in this current reaction age is redemption. Uh, so, you know, and I, I don't have, I know that Maggie and Moose the other day were talking about this, this Steve Cohen section, but I have not personally done the research to the New York times, either article or book that, uh, and I think there's some court documents that got unsealed, but I need to do a little bit more research. So I will preface right. this with that, but could it be also that Cohen is recognizing as he gets into this type of customer service uh, uh, world that he has not been completely innocent as well and that he needs to change his ways? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be. Um, and, and you're right, I have to do a little more research too because I've heard those rumblings as well. And even on Tuesday morning, I was watching Colin Cowherd and, you know, the banner at the bottom says, should we be giving point Cohen and how he handled this? You know, like, should we be like saying good job, Steve? I honestly think Steve Cohen did a great job with this. So not counting anything else in his past, his other company, whatever specific to Jared Porter, the New York Nets, and this situation, I think he handled it spectacularly well. And I can't believe that I still had to have three arguments on Twitter with three different men who said he shouldn't have been fired. I can't even believe I have to have that conversation with anybody. That's insane. And before I go to Mike, yeah. I have one yeah. to say. No, that is insane. I, I, one last thing I want to throw in, and then I'll, I just want to make see if anybody heard about this. But I read something that the, um, shall we say, inappropriate behavior toward women was kind of rampant with the Cubs um, in that time mm. frame. Um, I'm not going to say any names. There were some names mentioned, you know, what I read, because I, I don't know how true it is. I don't know if it's been confirmed or verified, anything like that, but um, when you read that, it, it makes it worse. You know, it, it makes it mm-hmm. worse. And um, and there were some very interesting tales in, in what I read. So just if anybody wants to Google that, uh, it came to light this week. So anyway, I'm done. In, well, that's interesting. And, you know, again, um, from the female perspective, 
I find this kind of stuff just so frustrating because I also feel like I say it so much and talk about it so much that it's almost like, gosh, I'm almost tired of, of hearing myself say it, but yeah. it's so frustrating. I mean, look at the Astros. Um, part of the reason I didn't want George Springer is because of the Astros, but the Astros um, in what was it? 2019, right. In the world series, they actually were responsible for me not watching the world series because I have you know, I didn't want to see the nationals win, of course. And then the Astros, who I was going to root for, that thing came out with um, the two female reporters and the assistant GM and the way he behaved those, right? So so now we have two teams and attitudes towards women. So uh, I can guarantee you out of the 30 teams that exist in the league, it's not just two teams and their attitudes towards women. I bet you it's more the bad way than the good way, unfortunately. Um, you know, the Astros with that assistant GM, yeah, they fired him five days later after they defended him on five different occasions. They refused to right. apologize to the women. And one of the supporting things that they did with this guy was they called the women liars. Right. You know, it's like... Ugh, it's so frustrating. And I say this all the time to men. Think about your job, whatever your job is. Okay, my job is marketing. I deal with clients. I consider it a hard job. I'm tired, right? I work really hard. I'm tired. Now add sexual harassment to it as another thing you have to deal with. How would you feel about adding that to your job? And, Mike, I'm going to send it over to you after this, but I think one of the things that men need to realize, because they make a lot of uh, stupid comments about this a lot of times, is that I I don't think it's a stretch to say 100% of women, no matter how subjectively good-looking you think they are, have had to deal with this. Go ahead, Mike. Well, it appears, um, you know, this is one of those situations where sports mimics life and life mimics sports. First and foremost, I don't want to bleed one conversation into the other. What Jared Porter did as far as a fireable offense, I don't care if it happened five years ago or five days ago or five hours ago. Uh, what he did is fireable. The Mets acted swiftly and with conviction. And for that, yeah, insofar as being a Mets fan and rooting for your organization, I'm glad the way they handled it the way they did. Uh but insofar as the media, what they knew, what they didn't know, when, who, I don't know. I don't know, because this is one of those life situations where you got to step outside the candy store and you just don't know who to trust anymore. You don't know media's motivations on why they suppress things or why they promote things. And uh, this one brings that into question. Uh, what they knew in Chicago or didn't know in Chicago, what the media knew there or didn't know there, and here locally, what they knew and what they didn't know and when they knew it. Uh, So I question that. 
And, and again, when you're, uh, say, a, a beat reporter or if you're in one particular, uh, you know, aspect of the sport where you cover, some people don't want to jeopardize their jobs or put their positions under threat, so they'll withhold information or they'll promote. You know, the motivations are what pique my curiosity. Why now? Why did this story come out now? And again, I don't want to bleed the two conversations into each other. Why did the story come out now? The fact that he did it, it's fireable. I don't care. That's done. Uh, and again, I'm glad the Mets acted swiftly and with conviction, but it's, it's the media motivations that I'm curious about. That and look, men, you got a long way to go, brother. You got a long way to go. There's a lot of us who have mothers and sisters and daughters, nieces. Okay, do you want this type of behavior? Do you want your 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 the the female members in your family and extended family uh, victimized by this type of behavior? Think to yourself before you do something stupid like that. You know, and, and it's convenient to blame it on this, that, and the other. No, it's not convenient. It, it's one or the other. So don't try to justify in your minds what was acceptable and what was not. All right? That female reporter felt her career was in jeopardy. Let me ask you this. How many times have the women been victimized for speaking out? Mm -hmm. And one of the instances that recently came up was Brett Favre and Jen Sturger. Mm -hmm. All right? Who was sending what and who benefited? Brett Favre continued his career without any uh-huh. pothole. Jen Sturge's uh-huh. career almost almost literally got destroyed. I know she's working now, but her career took a, 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 a very steep dive off a cliff after that incident. And she was the one who was victimized. Because the media turned on her. Why? Because Brett Favre was a... A, a superstar athlete, you know, and he potentially could have ruined the fabric of the organization and our winning and our sports team, etc., etc., etc. Sports mimics life, life mimics sports. But sometimes you got to step away. And for the men out there, what the hell are you thinking? What the hell are you thinking? Think twice. Think about how you would feel, again, if your mother, your sister, your nieces, your daughters were in that situation. Would you appreciate that? I know a lot of men out there who would want to kill the guy who sent those pictures. Mm -hmm. Put that in quotes. Obviously, we're not looking to kill anybody. Right. Uh, But the fury of having one of your family members victimized in that way would be off the charts. And we're trying to massage this in the media. And lastly, I I, yeah. I, I just have mm-hmm. to question media motivation. What they know, who knows it, when they decide to disseminate it. Uh, and just to go off on another little tangent, 50, 60, 80 years ago, all your news outlets in this country were owned by 
in excess of 150, maybe upwards of 200 entities, radio, TV, magazines, newspapers, whatever news outlet there was, there were over 150 entities who owned these properties. And as life in this country has evolved, all our news is basically being disseminated by six entities, give or take. Do you really trust them to get in a room together and say, hey, we're the main people responsible for disseminating news in this country. Let's give them the truth. Do you really trust six persons to get in a room and do that? I don't. Hmm. So do more research. Scour the Internet. Make calls. Call up newspapers and ask for periodicals from years back. Do your own research. Because the, the media more and more and more and more and more prove themselves somewhat untrustworthy. Are there trustworthy people out there? Absolutely. But again, like every wa- in, in every walk of life, there's only a few that ruin it for, the, for most of them. Yep. But I have to question motivations. But as far as Jared, uh, Jared Porter, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and I'll throw it over to Rich next. Uh, it seemed as if the fact that he got the job as Mets GM and is now at a higher position motivated the reporter to stay anonymous but finally speak the truth. Um, so, Rich, I'll go right. to this, though. In the next GM search, uh, we, we, we are saying that women should have more opportunity, and it's absolutely the case. In this particular instance, if the Mets do hire women, a woman for this job at the moment, will it, see, will it be seemed as disingenuous? I have to say yes to that. Um, it, would seem, it, would, it would reek of being reactionary. Um, let's face it. Let's look at a cold, hard fact that's not a good one for the Mets. Did they even talk to Kimming? I mean, I don't know that they did, and if they did, did they give her any serious consideration? You know, um, I, I don't know that they did. So let's go with no on that. And someone correct me if you know something else. Now, uh, do you mean so, talk to her this round or because uh, they definitely talked to her when they hired Brody? This well, round, it this it seems, though, yeah, that based round. off of like Jeff Wilpon's track record, that uh, either she may not have wanted to follow through uh, after right. speaking to him. But that's obviously only speculation. Right. Um, because right. like we've always known, and Mike likes to, to reiterate that Jeff ended up going with a friend in Brody. Right. 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 And, and so, so I don't I, think they spoke to Kim and I saw nothing on her being in the mix for this. And maybe she got hired too quickly from, you know, Florida. I don't know, but I don't feel like I heard a single mention that she was in the mix. Nor did I. So with that said, she obviously is qualified. She's obviously been out there for a while looking for a job of this nature. Let's assume the Mets give them a lot of credit. Let's, this ownership group, the, the group, the only group we could talk about is the one in place right now. This is a right now kind of a thing. Um, this happened on their watch, right? So, um, so, my point is, if they didn't give Kimming a, 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 any kind of a serious look, they have this happen, and all of a sudden they go out and hire a woman. I mean, I, it, it, as much as I'd like to say that 
the woman, it would be genuine. It, it reeks of being disingenuous. It, it just, it just would. It would, it would reek of being a reaction. Um, now, maybe they can get around it. You know, maybe they could say this is someone we've been considering for a long time, and she has this, 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 and this qualification, and all of that. But, but I think, tell me if I'm wrong, folks. But I think the general reaction of the public would be, wow, that's a very transparent reactionary move to try to make something go away, a stain go away. That's how I, that, that's how I would see it. And uh, before moving on, and I'll go to you next uh, on, on this. Um, mm-hmm. I was talking with somebody the other day, Phil Maylard, who's been on the show, who was on last week about how we're, we're talking about uh, women in general, of course, but, but how baseball has still not done the greatest job uh as many years after Jackie Robinson integrated it from a player perspective of bringing in uh, non-white folks, uh, uh, you know, just, and I'm, I'm grouping everybody in there just because that the, the biggest issue is the fact that white people have dominated over the ages and other mm-hmm. folks who have, who are really the majority around the world have not gotten a fair shot. And we were talking about how, um, that that just that's a whole nother issue. Uh, it, it you know it. I don't think there's ever there there's. Uh, I don't want to say that I, I it's it's just cynicism that this is never going to go away. But unfortunately, like you know, it, it would it would just be really amazing if we didn't have to talk about it. Uh, but that and and that's what these moments uh, allow us to do. And, and Ani, you can pick it up after I'm done. Um, that's what these moments allow us to do: is is try to get to the point where we don't have to talk about it. Right. No, you're you're right. And so, to Rich's point, I don't know that just hiring a woman in there now makes sense unless it's the absolute right person. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I even know of any other women beyond Kim Ng, and I'm sure there are, but off the top of my head, I don't know who they are. Um, it does not do women any good to be a token woman. You know, oh, we got to get a woman in there, so let's put a woman in there. That does us no good. Um, the other thing is, is I can guarantee you that they put a woman in there and there's going to be the automatic um, percentage, like let's just say Twitter, not that Twitter is the end-all, be-all of everything, but all, all uh, four of us are on Twitter together, so that's a good place to mention. But we hire a woman in that role, um, there's going to be the automatic, why is she qualified? She never played the game. Uh, she's not, you know, why are we hiring a woman? just automatic for no other reason than it's just like uh, Jessica, right? Mendoza. Uh, When she was hired by the Mets as a special consultant, there were a slew of comments. Why is she being hired for this role? She's not qualified. She's never played the game. I don't know why they don't understand that a gold medal winning softball player can understand baseball like they talked about it like 
softball and baseball were completely unrelated games and you would not be able to take your experience as that kind of a player and um, utilize it in a baseball role. I could see if she was a football player and she was coming into a baseball role, but she was a softball player coming into a baseball role. I never understood that argument. And while I understand they are not exactly the same, they are similar enough to be decent experience to morph into a baseball job. So those were comments that were based solely on nothing else but the fact that her gender was female. So again, I go back to think about how many times you've applied for a job. Could you imagine if the other thing that works automatically against you is the gender that you were born? It's just yet another obstacle. It's very frustrating. Um, I don't know how we're ever going to get away from not, you know, having this subject to talk about other than we've got to get women in this game. We're starting to see female coaches, right? So that's good. Uh, There's a couple female coaches now. And, you know, let's keep going that way. Let's, and we're starting to see it in all sports, which is really nice. Um, and we need men to speak up about all this and your disgust of this. And, and don't get me wrong, you all have been here tonight. All three of you have been. And on Twitter, for example, I have to say, other than those three people that I had to argue with, um, Almost 100% of the men were like, nope, he has to go. But honestly, we need men to speak up on this subject. Women have been speaking up on this subject for quite a while, and we're called whiny, we're called complainers, or we're not believed. Bill Cosby's the perfect example. 50-plus strangers who do not know each other pretty much had the same story Still people who don't believe these 50 women. It took 50 plus women to finally have something happen. And the only reason this even came to light was a male comedian brought it to light. And all of a sudden everyone listened. So we need men to speak up about all of this. We need more women. This kind of behavior is unacceptable. You can't talk to people like this. Um, It's crazy. I it's think crazy. men not only it need to. Is. Go ahead, Sam. Mike. Sam. No, Mike. Mike, go ahead. Oh, well, I'm just going to pick up where Anna left off. Yes, men absolutely need to speak up. But I think one way to rectify this is think about the network. It's still a good old boys network. It's still a white dominated Mm -hmm. society in baseball executive Mm -hmm. levels and, you know, all the major sports. It's up to them to go to colleges and recruit women. And people have the proper credentials be brought into the organizations. And through internships, you give them the experience that they need to fill these positions, and then you promote from within, and you give these people the positions. 
And that's how they gain the practical experience that they need to expand themselves throughout the league and, and have the wherewithal and, and the resume to move from one organization to another. So it has to be a grassroots effort. It's not, yeah. it's, it's not as easy as, you know, going off campus and recruiting somebody. No, 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 no. That's like buying free agents. You have, to, you, you have to create this at the farm system. Go out to the colleges and recruit. Go out there and recruit women who can fill these positions in, 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 at organizational levels. Give them the practical experience. That's the, that's the onus that should be on all major league organizations. And then you yeah, promote them right. within. And then some of the and then some of them get the actual general manager's position or the president position or another position. And then they have that experience to put it on their resume. And then if they're free and if they're willing, they can go out and seek to expand their horizons. But the practical experience has to come from Major League Baseball and the organizations, and it has to come from within. It's just like planting a garden. You plant the seeds. And then you watch it no, grow. You're, you're right about that. Yeah, now, you're right about that. Let's face it. Baby boomers suck. Gen X is proving <laughs> we suck. I'm Gen X. I think all of us are here except them. So we've got to leave it to the next generation, the millennials and Gen Z, to expand these horizons. Because, like I said, baby boomers and Gen X suck. They prove that over and over and over again. So the more diversity they get and the more opinions that they have and the greater pool of knowledge that they have, the better ideas that will come out of this endeavor. Yeah, I agree. And so someone, one of our Mets fan friends from Twitter, and I can't remember who, um, commented. So when Kim Eng got hired by Florida, I had made a comment I wanted her two years ago for the Mets. And whoever this friend of ours is that I can't remember said he had been following closely both Theo Epstein and Kim Eng's careers, like side by side. He said you would be shocked at how similar their careers are in terms of experience. Now, look at Kim Eng's career and look at Theo Epstein's career. He got the shot, like, what was it, 14 years ago. And he was 28. Yeah. So what we're saying is they had very similar careers, very similar experience, and he got the shot however many years, 10, 12, 14 years earlier than her. So, again, I go back. Think about your career path. How would you feel if your career path was delayed 10 years from an equal counterpart? I mean, that has all kinds of... Sam, you brought up Jackie Robinson. Look, when he took the playing field in 47 for the Dodgers, it took 27 years for Frank Robinson to become the first black manager in baseball. Mm -hmm. And look at the snail Mm -hmm. pace that things have taken place since 1974. Mm Mm-hmm. Here we are in 2020. 
And it, it doesn't paper. even mean, right, and it doesn't even mean that individual job. So just looking at Theo and Kim, and let's just say the difference was a 10, 12-year difference. Think of what that means for Kim's retirement compared to Theo's retirement. Think about what it means for Kim's family compared to Theo's family. You know, it is really far-reaching. It's not just an individual single job. It is life, career, earnings, um, you know, your, where you end up um, you know, Theo might end up as commissioner pretty quickly, and <laughs> oh, she geez. got her first PM job. Do you know what I'm saying? And, and even Mike and I were talking about how just the way Rob Manfred's uh, not on my good list uh, right now and the way Theo's uh, performed, uh, I've taken it in a heartbeat. But then again, it goes back right. to everything that we're talking about, about him yeah. it, it jumping ranks and her not being able to. And um, right. I, 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 of course, like it makes sense that uh, we dominate the podcast with this subject. And I think that there is an entire episode and probably two hours that can be devoted to it. Um, I, I want to uh, hit some other Mets matters, of course, that uh, from this week. But I, I, I just, you know, to to close the book on Jared Porter, um, it, it's unfortunate that. Uh, this had to come to light, but I, I want to say out there because I, I just think there's too much venom to that these people cannot have uh, any redeeming lives once this go once this happens and, and once this uh, occurs. And I hope for his sake and his family's sake that uh, they can all find peace uh, and and somehow make make amends. Uh, you know, not just to the reporter that he he reached out, who probably never at the same time, uh, to the community. Uh, um, you know, there, there is a path of redemption somehow, some way. And uh, you know, I I want to I I like to look I like to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. It, it's both a blessing and a curse, I believe, to to living this life and and seeing the good in human beings. Uh, so I just wanted to, to finish this uh, uh, this segment with that, that, you know, I hope that he is able to find peace. And I hope that all the women out there and people out there that are, are harassed in this way uh, can also find peace because the trauma uh, is, is still there. It still lingers. So I uh, just wanted to, well, to end that uh, segment with that. Well, that's that's why I have one last question, Sam, if you'll allow me. And I'm going to direct this at Anna. Sure. And Anna, I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you, please, tell us what an average day is like as a female interacting with men. Known, unknown, strangers, random situations, shopping, whatever have you. What's an average day like? for a female in their daily interactions with men in general. Can you say that you end the day uh, thinking more positively over the events of the last, you know, say 12 to 24 hours, or do you go to bed at night thinking, you know, there was a lot more bad than good in my interactions with men? 
Right. And I'm finding that men are understanding this a lot more. You know, much to my surprise, I only saw three people say he absolutely should not have been fired. One of those three people was tweeting at Steve Cohen saying, you're setting a bad example. That's ridiculous, right? So this is what I can say. So back in my 20s, I used to work in the travel industry, and I worked in an office, and I used to dress up nicely every day in a dress, heels, stockings, looked nice. And every day, our parking lot was right across the street, our little main road, busy main road, across the street every day. I kid you not, not a single day went by where I didn't get someone yell out a window or whistle or say something. Every single day. Then I would go to the deli for lunch every day across the street, and there was this bunch of guys that worked on one of the roads that I would literally see every day. And they were nice guys, but one of the guys whose wife owned the deli, believe it or not, but one of the guys um, would always say to me, like, oh, Anna, it's so nice to see you. Oh, you smell so good. Oh, you smell delicious. What do you say to that? So you'd awkwardly laugh. You know, you kind of giggle. You go, thanks, hi, yes. You know, because if I say, Uh, excuse me, you're being inappropriate, then I'm somebody who can't take a compliment or can't take a joke. Um, So what do you say to that? Like, you smell delicious. Oh, like literally drooling and like, uh, you know, every day. That used to happen every single day. Then I'd go across the street every single day. Someone would honk or yell something out the window. Um, I had clients sit down at my desk trying to, you know, get me to go out with them or, you know, something like that. Um, I just really, like what I do in business settings, I'll give you an example. Um, If I go to a business conference, I do not drink at these business conferences. As a female, I do not drink because if you get tipsy, it will stay with you in your career. It won't a, a, a man. Um, obviously, you don't want to be doing any hookups or anything because it will stick with you and not him. So I do behave differently in different situations. Absolutely. Um, I'm pretty lucky that I haven't had business situations um, where I've been sexually harassed or even inappropriate comments. So I've been lucky, although I will say I have worked with probably more women than men. But I have worked in my career where I'm the only woman in the group, and I've been really lucky with the men that I've worked with. And they've been respectful, they've been kind. But definitely I get called girl a lot. Um, I've told you guys this already on Twitter I've given baseball opinions. Uh, the one that sticks out in my mind is that game with Noah Syndergaard when Mickey Calloway took him out too early because he hit exactly 100 pitches, and then we immediately lost the game. I commented on Twitter, uh, Mickey Calloway took Noah Syndergaard out too early. One man who responded, first communication, you stupid bitch. 
first communication. Alyssa Rose on Monday, I think it was, someone told her she looked like a horse. Steve Cohen's daughter, Sophia. I saw people saying, guys, you better knock it off or she's going she's gonna to quit Twitter. So I can only imagine what those comments were. I can't tell you how many times men, when I give some kind of sport opinion, say, get back in the kitchen. Go make me a sandwich. That's what everyday life as a female is. And I tell men all the time, it is literally every single moment of our lives we put up with crap like this. Get talked over, right? Spoken over. Every day. And that's why, I, you know, it's not a stretch that no matter what you believe in terms of the subjective opinion of looks, 100% of women have dealt with this at some point. And, yes. you know, and, and even the best of us men, and we're going to make mistakes. I, unfortunately, I will admit, had an, an incident in college where I was drunk, and I got kicked out for a semester, and it turned out uh, I never got my degree after that. Um, I, before, for an incident, uh, being drunk and, and towards a, a woman that I don't even remember the moment. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I've never felt, I, I have uh, only sisters, I have two mothers, and I have never felt like I'm one of the bad guys. But even so, it still does not, it, it still comes across even the most perfect people. I, I, right. I'm not, not in, even close to saying that I'm perfect in any way, shape, or form, but I, I do believe that I have a better understanding of, of what goes on. And, and, and I, first of all, I want to apologize to you, Anna, for on behalf of other men, I have never really been one to holler, if you will. And I want other men out there who have at any single point felt the need, the want, or the desire to holler. Stop hollering. You guys all look like buffoons. You look like immature assholes. And... The, the fact that we've gone through everything that we've gone through over the last few years and that there's more of a perception of how bad this is, and yet it's still happening, where guys are brushing it off and saying they don't need to change. They have been feeling fine doing what they do. And, mm-hmm. and it, what, what is that Jerry Seinfeld joke, guys, about, like, why do construction workers honk? Why, why do tr- truck truckers honk at women, you know, where they, they honk, they go, huh, I don't think she likes me. It's, it, of course you're not going to, it, it's not going to work, <laughs> you know, and other than like the occasional time that it does, which is, it, it, and that's very, very rare. So stop, stop hollering, stop honking, stop whistling, stop all of this nonsense because you're not better for it. We as a whole are not better for it. And stop saying that, like, like certain men of, of, of certain ranks have. And, you know, not even my dad was immune to it. 
who is one of the nicest guys you'd ever meet. He's ready to make you laugh and make you feel better. Even he would, I would hear say, you know, when you, you, you looked at her, if you look at her, why would anybody, why would anybody do that anyway? You know, like you, you, that, that mm-hmm. is a habit. And like you said, Mike, you know, that's a habit of the baby boomer generation that needs to end. It doesn't matter what political spectrum it is, Republican, Democrat, independent, whatever it is. A lot of those men have made the mistake of saying that a woman who is claiming that she's been sexually harassed couldn't have been sexually harassed because of the way she looks. Enough. You guys all need to stop it. We all need to stop it. And we need to recognize when we've made mistakes and we need to make amends as best as we can. So, you know, it, it, I, I, I really do almost wish that I hadn't put number 71 on this because this, is, this, is, this was a conversation that needed to be had, and it needed to be had on the level that it has. So uh, I, I want to thank all of you guys. I want to thank everybody for, for listening to this, and I want to thank you, Anna, for helping us with your perspe- perspective that us men could literally never understand. And need to understand that we could never understand it. So right. thank you very much for, for helping us tonight. And I'm actually understanding that I can't get mad at a man for not understanding. Because I, I, literally, how can you possibly understand? If it doesn't happen to you, how can you understand? But being aware of this, all I ask that you do is start sticking up for us, you know. I, again, what did Alyssa Rose do? She was talking about, I guess she was going to have a show with the topic of Jared Porter, you know, like maybe it was Tuesday or whatever. And some guy literally said, you look like a horse. I mean, oh, my God. And the only reason he feels comfortable doing that is he knows he can. He knows he can say that. You know, the only reason the Houston Astros assistant GM did what he did was he knew, say, what he said. And he knew he would be supported. And he was supported five times before they ended up succumbing to the pressure and, and firing him. But he knew he could say that and get away with it. So, but I, I will say this. I'm finding that I'm seeing so many more comments go the way I hoped they would go versus I thought uh, this will go 50-50, you know, and it hasn't been. It's been like almost 100% said he's got to go. So that, to me, is progress. And the way that it, it, it unfolded, you know, I was on the phone with Mike uh, uh, just as I was basically finding out the news uh, at the beginning of the week. And, right. uh, you know, I, I was even saying, I, 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 Mike, if you remember, I didn't even know that Steve had already fired him and saying, like, you know, this, this right. happened eight hours ago, what's going to happen? Um and, you know, it, it was good that it happened as swiftly as it did. And, again, anybody criticizing him for taking 12 hours of overnight Eastern Standard Time, I, I think is it, it's asinine. Um, 
and again, I think there's a longer conversation to be had about this. Um, and, and I'm, I'm kind of, I, I apologize to everybody out there uh, for making the episode as short as I did, uh, as well as labeling it number 71. But because I, I, I have, I want to stay uh, uh, to that time frame and, and that uh, um, outline for what we were going, what, what, how we were going to go about the show. And, and again, thank you all for listening. Um, there's, you know, this just brings up, and I'll go to you next, Rich, on this, that the one, you know, we almost forget that now the Mets still have a lot of work to do. Uh, Springer went to the Blue Jays, and I believe for the, the price that it cost, $150 million for six years for a 31-year-old center fielder, um, I have to say, Rich, just the second I saw those numbers, and I was like, well, we, we can't do that. As much as as everybody was just ready to spend Steve Cohen's money, you got to spend smartly. Agree. No, I would not have given him six one fifty. I mean, he's going to be thirty seven at the end of that contract, and you know, will his production be worth that money at that point? Odds are very much against it. So, where do the Mets pivot at this point? Um, there are a lot of options out there. You know, everybody's pointing to Jackie Bradley Jr. Sure, that makes sense. The thing about getting a better defensive center fielder is you're upgrading a defense in a couple of positions because that pushes Nimmo over to left. You know, Nimmo had a minus six defensive run save last year in center field, which is in a short season, that's really bad because that's a time-based metric. Um, Whereas in left field, he has a five career defensive run save. So he's, you know, probably a little bit above league average if you look at it, look at him as a left fielder and significantly below as a center fielder. So if you put a, a JBJ in center field, push Nimmo to left, you've upgraded defense in two places. The problem is if you push Nimmo to left and there's no DH, what do you do with Dom Smith? Mm-hmm. Right? So it's, it's tough. They have a lot of fixing to do. And this whole uncertainty about the DH, which is becoming more and more certain, it, it certainly looks like, there will not be a DH at this point in the National League. It, it could change, but that, the, the odds are in that direction right now. Um, Which I'm so shocked, have, by the way. I'm really shocked. I thought there was no way they wouldn't just keep it. But, um, but I agree, it looks like it's not happening. Which, and it could be a negotiating play. What I'm hoping is that we hear that there's a collective bargaining agreement that extends for the next five years and the DH was part of it. That's what I'm hoping um, so there's labor peace for a long period of time, and it's, it's, it's being used right now as we speak as a bargaining chip. You know, a chip, I'm certainly hoping for that. Now, other options, you know, you have a lot of, a lot of mid-range guys. You have guys like Albert Almora, who is, who is um, released by the Cubs, who was non-tendered. Uh, you know, mid-lane kind of a center fielder. You have Delino DeShields, who's available as a good defensive center fielder, or at least above average defensive center fielder. So what do they do? I mean, do they bite the bullet and go with Nimmo and sacrifice the defense and left and center? Maybe. Do they look at Jackie Bradley Jr.? But he's probably not on a winning team. He's probably not an everyday center fielder. He's a 239 career hitter. So you probably have to compliment him. with a, It has, probably has to be a platoon, you know, where you have a right-handed version of him. Um, and then what do you do about Tom Smith? So you're right, Sam. There's a lot of work to be done. They need another arm um, in the rotation. They Brad Hand is out there. They're allegedly very interested in Brad Hand as a as a reliever. So there, as I just, as I think about it, 
I think center field's a priority. I think adding another arm to the rotation's a priority. And I think adding another lefty to the bullpen is a priority. So here we are three weeks from pitchers and catchers. And as I see it, three pretty significant needs that have to be filled. So you're right. There's work to do. Yeah, and, and let's uh, certainly expedite the actual roster stuff. Uh, Anna, I'll go right to you next. Like he said, you know, they're, they do need some arms outside of that center field. And the news coming out more or less right before the, the podcast, the rumor coming out actually, is that Trevor Bauer's decision will come down to the Mets and the Angels. Um, I forget whether we've talked to you about Trevor Bauer, but he can be a polarizing figure. Uh, figure excuse me. What say you? So we, ha- we all, the four of us, have not discussed Trevor Bauer, and I'm a little baffled by Trevor Bauer, and I'm even taking out the personality part of it. When I look at his numbers, don't get me wrong, I understand he had a phenomenal year last year, and I understand that he should have been the Cy Young winner last year but it was also over a 60-game season. When I look at the numbers for the rest, meaning everything else other than this 60 days, he's kind of average, and he's in the you know, high threes and low fours. And so I'm baffled at wanting to give him crazy money based on this one season. And I might be eating my words, you know, three years from now um, when he goes to wherever, whether it's the Mets or somewhere else. Um, I, I'm just like, I don't look at him like I look at Jacob deGrom because Jacob deGrom has been doing this for so long. Um, so now you add the personality, and I'm not sure I want the personality on my team. Um, how many years is he looking at? That I actually – I will look it up while while uh, we continue. Right. Um, yeah, but I do think pitching is – and I almost think pitching more than the center fishing is what we have to – like if, if – if we had to choose, like they said, okay, we're only going to be able to do pitching or center field, I think i pick pitching. Um, I'm okay with not getting George Springer, but I'm bitter, and I hold grudges, by the way. So, uh, you know, I still hold my 1973 grudge against Pete Rose. Um <laughs> I have a few of the, yeah. I have a few of those. I have a Pete Rose grudge. We're a couple years eight, behind, but but just the right era in terms of the episode. Yeah. Think. So I have my '73 Pete Rose grudge. I have my '88 Kirk Gibson grudge. I have a '92 Mario Lemieux grudge. I have a 2015, of course, <laughs> uh, Chase Utley grudge, and I have a 2012 grudge against Tony Larusa. I will never forgive Tony Larusa for not starting R.A. Dickey in the um, All-Star game. I will never forgive him for that, ever. But, um, you know, so I'm bitter about the Astros, so I kind of didn't want him. Um, I realize he's a good player. I get that. And maybe I'm letting um, personal feelings get into it. 
I don't know what we're going to do about Dom and Pete because I absolutely hate the DH. I hate it. I hate what it does to baseball, but we need the DH because we need both Dom and Pete. So I don't know the answer to that. Um, I'm glad that it's not my job to figure it out, but um, I just, I don't like the DH, but I'm fully aware that we are probably going to have it. And I'm shocked that we're not having it this year. I really thought it would just roll over. I just figured up it's going to stick forever. So, um, you know, maybe Jackie Bradley is a good answer and maybe it is a platoon and then we get to get Nimmo and Dom and Pete, all of them at bats. I, I don't know. But I think pitching, because pitching killed us last year. It killed us. Mm-hmm. Surprisingly, and, it wasn't uh, Edwin Diaz that killed us. Edwin Diaz did, you know, other than a couple of games. Yeah. Other than a couple of games that he did kill have, us. If any of you have watched Screwball, uh, you know, I'm not surprised that the Major League Baseball can't get their shit together when it comes to the DH decision. Maybe it's a house divided. Mm-hmm. That very well could be, other than, you know, the traditional American League, National League divide. Mike, uh, right. I, I'll go to you with the, the Trevor Bauer question as this. Was he, is, is it short season syndrome for the way he pitched, or has Trevor Bauer finally gotten it together? And uh, if you can follow up afterwards with a pitching trade that the Mets made this, this week, uh, they brought in another left-hander for depth purposes, Joey Lucchese from the Padres. Um, where, where do the Mets go from here? as they're trying to shore up both their, their major league roster as well as their depth down below. All right, let's start with Trevor Bauer. I'm not looking to break the bank with this guy. Again, if he comes at a reasonable price, he's more than welcome. And last year was a breakout year for him at age 29. When he was with Cleveland, you know, you have to – you have to give some slack with the ERA in the American League with the designated hitter. But this guy was routinely, you know, turning in ERAs above four. Four and a half, mm-hmm. four and a quarter, four and a quarter, four and a quarter, four and a half. That's what you'd be importing. Once he got to the National League, and particularly last year, yeah, that ERA took a dip. But that was a compromised 2020 season. Uh, and, and Sam, I, I, I told you about my apprehensions about the central divisions. Uh, for as long as they stay in that little playpen, they all look great. But once you take them out of that division, I don't know what happens to them. Trevor Bauer, yeah, he's trying to cash in on one big season. That's my, that, that's my take. Uh, otherwise, I'm more in line with Anna. You know, this guy strikes me more average than one of the more uh, premium players out there. It's just the nature of free agency. You know, if you're the best of a lot of average in free agency, you're going to stick out, especially to teams with the needs. Uh, and, And that's when you overpay. And I'm not looking to overpay just because we can afford it doesn't mean we should. Uh, I don't want him making more than Jacob deGrom. Yeah, well, you know, but I'd much rather let the market come to us. 
We don't have to force ourselves upon this guy and say, oh, he's No. Haste makes waste. Okay? So wait out the market. If his agent says, look, you know, we need to get something done, we need to come down in price, and you need to shut your mouth up and, and, and hold back on your Twitter and YouTube exploits to get this done, well, then so be it. You know, and this is just me being a peckerhead. Uh, but he needs to come down to a more reasonable price, okay? He's not as good as what he's making himself out to be, and I don't think he's as good as some other people make him to be as good to be. Uh, he has a lot more to prove than just what he demonstrated in 2020. Uh, and so far as the other acquisition, tricky. You know, left-handers, healthy left-handers, Young, healthy left-handers have value no matter what. We know that in baseball. That's one of the old axioms. But I always question why players come available. And the fact that this player came from the Padres, who have had as an active season, off-season, I should say, as the Mets, why they would be relinquishing this player makes me question how they scout him or how they view him uh, to make him available. Now, a trade is a trade. You know, if they feel like they got an act, a reasonable uh, return, fine. Uh, but the fact that he came from the Padres makes me question this. Uh, I'm looking forward to him being productive here. That's always the nature of the business. You want these players to do well. Uh, you know, and whatever highlights I can dig up, he looks good. He looks to be uh, in, in, in functional control of his breaking pitches, which is to say that, you know, his strike zone isn't six feet high and seven feet wide. Uh, so he'll be useful. He's a lefty. He'll come into play. There's no doubt about that. You can have, never have enough pitching. But there's just that – why do players come available and why the Padres when they're in acquisition mode, not necessarily in trade mode, uh, you know, a trade is judged on who got the best player. I think we did well here. So I, I don't know. It could be one of those middling acquisitions that, you know, either turn out for the best or winds up being one of those in, inconsequential uh, acquisitions. We'll see. Prove will t- time will prove that out. Uh, but there you go. Joey Lucchesi acquired from the San Diego Padres. Uh, Rich, I'm going to loop over power, to you. A power uh, arm. For I Joey Lucchesi. That, that I'm sorry. He he represents oh, a power arm. There's a lot of potential there. So you know, let's cross our fingers and hope for the best. Rich, I got to say, he's got a great baseball name, at least. <laughs> he does. He does. Did you want well, me to what, what, say, on? what say you? Yeah, go ahead. absolutely. What say you about that that transition that I believe went down? Um, was it Sunday before the Jerry Porter stuff? Uh, I'm not sure about the timing. I think on this that. happened today. I think the Porter news broke out Monday night, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And by okay. Tuesday, they were resolving it, and I think this transaction went down on Tuesday. Yeah, I, I think that's right. You know, and it's an example of um, – I, I wouldn't, you know, hang my 
my rotation on him, you know, but I think it's, it's, it's a, what's becoming a cliche. It's a depth. And, um, and if it, and if he does well, which he certainly, you know, he, he didn't have a good year last year. He had a, had a better 2019. Um, and if he does well, that's great. You know, you, you've added depth and you had, and you have a, and lefties are always, you know, some, something you you're looking for. Um, fine. I, again, I, I would not stop my search for, for arms for the rotation because of, of that acquisition, but I think it, it's a fine depth move. It doesn't seem like they gave up a lot. Um, so, but you know, the other thing that we haven't talked about is what about Matt's now? Um, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. we've heard that they dangled him to the Blue Jays who need pitching. Uh, they've just brought in a lefty start potential starter. Basically, the same guy as Matt's, right? Because a little younger, um, Matt's was projected to be maybe competing for the fifth rotation spot, maybe out of the bullpen. Same thing with Lucchese. Um So, mm-hmm. what happens to Matt's now? Is he a, is he a tradable mm-hmm. commodity? Maybe. Have they finally gotten frustrated with him? I would not blame them if they have. Um, I just have this uh, gut feeling that Matt goes somewhere else and turns into a you know pretty solid starter. But he's, you know, the Mets have given him a lot of chances, and it's just not going well. You know, it, he just hasn't, yeah, he hasn't been able to sustain anything. He had, you know, he had a couple of good runs there, um, but it's not sustainable. But anyway, um, but I want to just jump jump back on Bauer. Uh, that's one, you know, for those of us who watched Lost in Space growing up, that's one danger, Will Robinson. You know, I, I would not <laughs> give that guy that kind of money. You know, I really. That's wouldn't. a good way to put it danger right and, and just to say i did it, i did look it up he wants 35 million a year according to right that okay so the answer is no <laughs> no 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 he is not a 35 million dollar a year pitcher yet and maybe i'll eat my words but he has been era in the fours for most of his career he is not a 35 million dollar pitcher I mean, Agreed. is Kershaw even making thirty-four million? I don't think so. Thirty-five million. Yeah, yeah, something like that, right? I, I don't, I don't blame him for trying to parlay a great year into a big contract. Uh, that's just Absolutely. the nature of the business. We would all do, yeah, it. and you know, if just we had to the give them credit, to do it, uh, we would. And just to give them credit, you know, both his agents, uh, Rachel Luba and uh, Trevor Bauer, are real hustlers from the the modern market perspective, you know, from from making yeah. a brand out of just yourself. Now, mind you, obviously yeah. that needs to that needs to complement, not supplement the team. Uh like like the reason why A-Rod never came aboard. Uh but thank God. I have to give them props cuz they do seem to have a knack for both uh, uh maneuvering the social media uh, world as well as in many ways uh, from a po- on a positive perspective interacting with the fans so I got to give them a, a props on, on that regard um, but I, I hear where, where you're coming from Rich um, you, you know it, it's it's going to be interesting to say the least how this all goes and maybe uh, just like I believe with Bryce Harper uh you know, the one good thing to come out of the Wilfon era was that they weren't involved with uh, some uh, free agent like that who does have 
a track record that has continued in terms of kind of not putting the team first when it comes, especially when it comes to his hot editness. Um, I, I think there are some trouble signs uh, regarding uh, uh, Bauer and the the focus on himself. Uh, but I do I, I do appreciate you know he's even tweeted back at me uh, and and in a positive nature and I was tweeting at him in a positive nature so I got to give him credit <laughs> for that and uh, uh, but and I on the the next part I'm I'm certainly mincing words here. Uh, but it does look like at least the rumor regarding Joey Lucchese, uh did go down because according to the Mike Puma article that I'm reading, it's still – but the Mets under new owner Steve Cohen, team president Sandy Alderson, and general manager Jared Porter have rebuilt their own rotation. So when the news at least broke, this was – when Jared Porter was still a part of this deal in mm-hmm. crazy fashion that we're all coming back around. So, you know, one way or another, it puts it certainly puts pressure on Matt to get his stuff together if he it ends up still being here. Uh, but, it, it, you know, we're, we're coming up on spring training very soon here, folks. So uh, Matt is going to have a lot of competition. Uh, uh, David Peterson needs to show that that it wasn't a fluke in 2020 as well. Uh, and they might have they're most likely going to have at least one more member of the rotation considering that Noah Syndergaard is most likely not coming back until June at the earliest. So there's a lot of of stuff going on. And, you know, we're probably in the next few days going to have to get back on the the podcast from a modern Mets uh, perspective uh, as that is concerned. Um, But I want to loop around to the historical section. And I'm going to go ahead, guys, and make an executive decision that number 71 from a uniform perspective is not something we need to spend hardly any time on. I'm just going to read the name. <laughs> Gonzalez Germain, 7-12-2013 to 9-28-2014. Ryan O'Rourke, 5-1-2019 to 5-4-2019. What a Mets career that was. And Hunter Strickland, 7-25-2020. And uh, he, I'm, I, I'm not sure exactly what's going on in terms of him, but he, uh, I will just uh, say that it was nice. Uh, he was brought on at the end as, as a piece that got released at some point in 2020. And I thought that he wasn't half bad uh, considering we needed some healthy arms in that bullpen down the stretch. Uh, not, unfortunately not able to make uh, the, the playoffs there. Uh, a nice little uh, cherry on top of that shit Sunday. That was the Wilpon era. Um, guys, the thing that jumped out to me about 1971, and, and Anna, you brought up 73, so I, I think this is going to be a, a was my conversation. Yeah, 73 was my first year in baseball. <laughs> hmm. And it was a good well, year oh, well, to it, start, wasn't it? it? Oh, my God, was it a good year. But what, so, what jumped out to me, guys, about 1971, uh, and uh, if you guys have it up already, uh, and I'll, I'll start with you, Rich, on this one. Um, what, what is so interesting to me about it, it, it was another 83, 70, 79, I, I believe, um, uh, you know, Gil Hodges, uh, uh, really starting to, to come into his own as a manager, but they're, they're still not having the same success they had with that miracle run in 1969. The thing that jumps out to me the most about 1971, Rich, is the fact that Tom Seaver 
lost the Cy Young Award to Fergie Jenkins. Now, Fergie Jenkins had 24-13 win-loss record with a 2.77 ERA. Tom Seaver had a 20-10 record with a 1.70 ERA. It's like like it's hard to say that that's not one of the greatest seasons any pitcher has ever had. Um, what say you, Rich? Well, you're right, and I think what it shows is that the mentality has changed, right? Because back in the '60s and even into the '70s and even probably to the '80s, win loss one loss was very important, right? Uh, in that year, as you mentioned, you know, the numbers you mentioned, Fergie Jenkins won more games. And there were a lot of old school people, because it was an old school time, who felt that, well, you know, you won more games, so uh, that's more Cy Young worthy. Um, and and I think that's really what, what it shows. Look at DeGrom. I mean, you know, DeGrom winning the Cy Young Award in 2018 when his record was, you know, barely about 500, but we've evolved as, you know, our thinking has evolved toward the game, you know, to a point where people realize God. that win, yeah, right? wins and losses are largely out of the pitcher's control. <laughs> you could pitch damn good baseball, you know, average two runs per nine innings or an ERA of two, and if your team just happens to not score, DeGrom, when you're on the mound, you're not going to win a lot of games, and it's not controllable by the pitcher. So, we've evolved our thinking to looking at statistics when making those decisions that are controllable by the pitcher. Um, and so that's good. I mean, that, that really is, I think that's what, what it shows. I think if Seaver had that, that kind of a year now, if you put Seaver and Jenkins in the way people look at it now, I, I think we could all agree. He wins pretty easily. Seaver wins the Simon award pretty mm-hmm. easily. You know, the other statistic I've kind of fallen in love with is ERA plus which is where you're um, basically normalizing. You know, you're saying that 100 would be like at league average, right? And so how does the pitcher do? It's like OPS plus. You're normalizing against other players. So for ERA plus, Seaver had a 194, which is sick in, um, in 1971. <laughs> That's like off the charts good. You know, he's like double the baseline, right? Double the average major league pitcher in terms of his production for his team. You don't see that. You know, a good ERA plus now is like, you know, 120, 140 is really good. 160 is like, oh, my God, this is 194. I mean, he dominated the league. And it's unfortunate he didn't win the side. But, again, things change, you know. Think about what was going on in 1971. There, if you if we had the conversation about DH, they'd say, "What? What's that? There's no such thing as a DH." You know, the game has evolved since then, and 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 fortunately, as Anna said, and I agree, fortunately, um, the thinking has gone along with it. You know, and they look at things a little more fairly. As I look at the rest of the 71 team, you know, Coos had a bad year, right? Six and 11. I mm-hmm. uh, wonder what happened there. Um, Tug McGraw had a really good year at 11 and four. You know, you look at the offense, you know, in that era, the Mets were not a, an offensive juggernaut even when they won in 69. Um, you look down the line here, you have Cleon Jones coming in at 319, Tommy Agee at 285, so a couple of solid years there, Eddie Crane Pool at 280. But, again, it, it was typical Mets baseball, you know, 69 through about 76, where good, solid starting pitching, not a lot of offense, um, and unfortunately, because of that, they, if they had any offense at all to go with that pitching they had, 
you have to think they would have won at least one more World Series in that time frame. Right. Um, Anna, before I go to you, uh, just a conversation that we started last week about Nolan Ryan. And I think this right. uh, bodes true to the, the stuff we were saying uh, just about his wildness and how he was just starting to really fall out of favor with the, the uh, uh, Mets front office who needed some offense mm-hmm. and also specifically – needed uh, a third baseman. And I also want to apologize uh, to all of our live listeners. We appreciate you uh, being on here. Usually we like to have these as uh, two hour episodes because you, you will get cut off uh, at the live show. Please con- to continue listening to the 1971 talk, go listen to the archive. Once it's posted after we sign off here, we greatly appreciate you listening. Uh, but continuing again with Nolan Ryan, you know, he had 106, uh, 116 walks in 152 innings pitched, and he pitched to a 3.97 ERA on it. Uh, it, it. You could tell that he just was not yet the Hall of Famer that he became. Right. And, and there's a real chance that my feelings about Trevor Bauer might turn out that way as well, you know, um, where he might surprise us. Yeah, and I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember Nolan Ryan on our team other than I know he was on our team, right? Um, And an incredible, incredible pitcher. Um, I I wonder what we would have been if he had been on our team for 10 years. It's very, very interesting, you know. Yeah. And, and and that we can only do, Mike, in stratomatic baseball, basically, from the era, right? <laughs> but there's also something to be said for the, uh, the times. 1971, the American League was still used, umpires, home plate umpires are still using the chest protectors, and that's why they always got the right. high strike. In the National League, that wasn't the case. And in the National League, you got the low strike when you were a pitcher. You know, and you mentioned his 116 walks and only 152 innings pitched. That's a lot. You know, and his strikeouts to innings, 137 strikeouts to 152. And as you say, 397 ERA in the National League is high during those times. Uh, So, yeah, for a second year in a row here, uh, we can see why there was somewhat of a falling out between his abilities and, and, and the Mets' sensibilities, you might say. Very interesting. But Rich also brought up the point that, uh, offensively speaking, you know, they weren't going out of their way to secure uh, some premium hitters. They were just moving right along with what they had. Uh, and to Cleon Jones's credit, you know, he finished another season batting above 300. Uh, and... Uh, Mm-hmm. Somehow, somewhere, he still goes. He still goes on underrated in, in in Mets history compared to say more modern people and more prolific hitters. But uh, you know, and we also know that this was Gil Hodges' last season as manager of the Mets because just prior to the season starting next year, he suffered a heart attack and passed away. Yeah, that's still uh, a sad. Hail to this day, and uh, we hope that uh, the Hall can rectify 
the dishonor that they have provided Gil Hodges and one day enshrine him in there with the rest of the amazing Brooklyn Dodger players, as well as uh, the the two only the only two Mets with a, a Mets hat on there. You know, Gil Hodges will go in with the Brooklyn B, but what pushes him over the edge on top of being uh, Mike, you, you know, what, what was he when he retired from a home run perspective? Well, I'm, I'm sorry. You caught me in a moment where I wasn't paying attention over the last 10 seconds. Please. Oh, I no. Apologize. Uh, what, what was Gil Hodges? What number was he of all time home run hitters uh, when he retired? When he retired, you have to put that in a a National League perspective. But if you give me two seconds, I can bring that up very quickly Great. on my site. It's something that, that just makes Blogger it so... On, <laughs> .com. Uh, <laughs> and I'll read you. Hey, 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 I, I, I was cutting you off, so I just want to let everybody know you can go to the Brooklyn .com. <laughs> Lovely shameless plug right there, Mike. Shameless plug. All right, let me read you a uh, little paragraph here about his career. And this is as he retired. There are 25 first basemen enshrined at Cooperstown. Hodges ranks 11th among them with 370 home runs. For 12 seasons spanning 1948 through 1959. Listen. Wow. Hold on, listen. From 48 through 59, Hodges led all first basemen in home runs, runs batted in, extra base hits, and on, uh, excuse me, OPS. I reiterate, from 48 to 49, Hodges led all first basemen in home runs, runs batted in, extra base hits, and OPS. For the decade of the 1950s, he ranked second overall in the National League in home runs and RBI. Let me say that again. For the decade of the 50s, he ranked second overall in the National League in home runs and RBI. From 1949 through 1959, Hodges posted a slash of 280, 367 on-base percentage, 507 slugging, while averaging 30 home runs and 101 RBIs per season, 49 through 59. Again, in excess of a decade, he exceeded 20 home runs in 11 consecutive seasons, hit at least 30 home runs, six times hit 40 or more home runs twice he exceeded 100 runs batted in in seven straight seasons upon his retirement Gil Hodges ranked 11th on the all-time home run list 11 people on the all-time wow. home run list and third Third all-time amongst right-handed batters. This is ponderous that I'm reading this, and he is not in the Hall of Fame. 
that honestly, I, I think I'm going to. I'm definitely going to cut. Uh, we're we're going to we're going to have an entire podcast devoted, whether it's on uh, uh, Bedford and Sullivan or here or both. We're going to have a, a podcast, and I'm going to cut this section of this podcast out and play it <laughs> just to pr- make that point. Go ahead, on. <laughs> no, I really. Upon his retirement, yeah. Gil Hodges ranked 11th on the all-time uh, home run list and third amongst right-handed batters. Okay. Moreover, he helped the Brooklyn slash Los Angeles Dodgers win seven National League pennants and two world championships. And it was yeah. Gil who triumphantly delivered Brooklyn's only two runs scored in game seven of the yeah. 55 World Series against the Yankees. And then starting in 1957, he won baseball's first three newly minted Gold Glove Awards for defensive excellence. And there's more to reading that. Ponderous! There has to be Uh. some kind of reason, (laughs) a conspiracy, uh, a personal vendetta against him that all this gets ignored, bypassed, and just simply discarded and thrown away. Someone is to blame. It's astounding because that that's unbelievable. It really is. Uh, I want to, wrapping up 1971, uh, because the, the Gil Hodges conundrum uh, continues uh, and Hopefully, you know, COVID pushed it off one more year. Uh, hopefully we can finally correct this, that so many people, this, this, this mistake that so many people constantly bring up is a mistake. So hopefully uh, uh, this can be rectified. This mistake can be rectified. I just want to give an honorable mention for 1971 to Joe Torre, who won the NLMP yes. with a 363 batting average. 24 home runs and 137 RBIs, speaking of Brooklyn. But what, what's crazy to me, and, and Rich, if you want to uh, carry it off and, and finish this off after this too, Vida Blue won the AL MVP uh, with a 182 ERA with 24 wins and eight losses. That is amazing that, you know, the days where pitchers were winning MVPs. Right. That's amazing to uh, me. I can't remember which pitcher, and maybe it is kind of recent, but what pitchers have won MVPs? Well, you know, uh, it, it's not one of these more far-fetched precedents. Uh, there have been numerous pitchers who won the MVP. Yeah. Numerous might be a bit of a stretch, but there have been a lot, a handful. Some of them I don't begrudge. Yep. And it might be you know, a thing of the past now. Yes. Tim McCarver talked about that a lot. Um, I remember I read, I read his book. I'm not sure he wrote more than one, but I remember reading a book of his anyway. And, um, and in it he talked about how he believed pitchers could be MVPs because he said if you accept the premise that a pitcher is only out there and can help the team once every five days, okay, sure, that certainly puts that pitcher behind the eight ball when it comes to helping the team. Uh, it comes to qualifying for an MVP by the traditional definition. But by the same token, if that pitcher so thoroughly dominates in that 
20, in those 20% of the games that, that the pitcher is, is participating in, um, well, then, you know, you could say that the pitcher really had more of an impact in those games than position players may have had, in all, although they played more games, if you, know, if you follow what I'm saying, that the pitcher yeah. has the potential to be so dominant and to skew the game um, in the direction of his team, if, and especially if he could be that dominant. So it's an interesting discussion. Um, so yeah, Vita Blue, you know, 1971 AL MVP, uh, looking at a couple of his awards here. He also won the Cy Young that year. Let's not forget that. He also won the American League Cy Young. And I'm pretty sure that he's the only pitcher in history to win both, to win the Cy Young and the MVP in the same year. Uh, I could be wrong mm. on that, but I believe that is the case. Um, Remember how he was, he at one point changed his name to True Blue, or at least Charlie Finley wanted him to. Um, <laughs> he was a switch hitter as a pitcher. He was quite, quite a character. Um, he, you know, as I look back at, at I right, do True remember Blue, him. I remember him in the 73 World Series. Um, yes, me too. And he spent mm-hmm. almost all of his career on the Bay, right? Because he was in Oakland A until 19, through 1977. Then four years with the San Francisco Giants. He had a couple of years with Kansas City at the end. Um, but, yeah, Vida Blue was, was quite a character. You know, that whole Oakland A's team, they were, they were all characters, including their owner. But, um, but, yeah, Vida Blue was, uh, <laughs> made his mark. And, and I love that, that Roberto Clemente up... was the World Series MVP. Oh, yeah. And this is, unfortunately, I think it's another one more year, speaking of, of people who died uh, way too soon. I believe he died uh, at the end of 1972. Am I right? I'm sorry, who's that, Sam? I, yeah, I oh, think Clement. you are That's right. Another one. Yeah. Yeah, that 72 was a, uh, a real 100%. rough year for baseball. Yeah. In that regard. Um New Year's Eve 1972 is when Roberto Clemente died, and he also, I believe, mm-hmm. got his last hit, his 3,000 hit off John Matlock, I believe. Uh, yes. Yes. The best, I think Matlock. yes. You're right. He finished with exactly 3,000 hits. Well, you know, what's going to be interesting uh, to, to uh, tease 1972 a little bit for our next podcast um, is that it, it, we'll have this devastation to speak of at the beginning, but we also have Willie Mays to discuss. So that's going to be very interesting to say the least. Uh, ladies and mm. gentlemen, we have come to the end of the 1971 discussion and we are moving on to our final word. But first, uh, Anna, I want you to start with your final word, but again, uh, first of all, thank you so much for joining us and, and having this just unbelievable, wonderful, insightful and, and, you know, just just helping not just us, but but so many people out there try to understand in a better way, because we all can. We 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 are never going to be able to completely relate, but we can empathize. And uh, I greatly appreciate you coming on tonight and helping us do that. And I want uh, to give you an opportunity to let everybody know where they can find you, what your company is. Uh, the shameless plug, and, and sure, throw some more George Strait in there if you'd like. <laughs> Excellent. Um, yes, yeah, so the shameless plug, again, is my company, Pinnacle Peak Marketing, out here in Scottsdale, Arizona. Um, 
you can find me on Twitter at Anna Bryce, real simple. And yes, you know, I, I'm kind of a, um, obsessive person. Like I said, George, I love George Strait. I love the Mets, the Rangers, the Cardinals. I watch Blue Bloods literally every single day. Um, and I'm unfortunately a Hallmark Channel addict. I don't know how that happened, but I am. So I've got a lot of, um, I guess, varying interests. But I kid you not, I watch Blue Blood blue bloods every single day so and i only discovered the show two years ago so it's it's kind of a nutty uh thing and you know in terms of last words keep the faith i really have such good feelings about our new ownership and sandy being back um i want mets fans to stop busting his chops that they haven't done anything in the off season and I want Mets fans to stop using the word he has the money so he should spend it. Um, he doesn't grab me as the type of guy who's going to do foolish spending. I tend to think the reason he is a billionaire is he doesn't do foolish spending. He does smart spending and I'm all for smart so I really want our fans to stop saying he hasn't done enough and he has the money so he should spend it because I have total faith that Sandy is going to do a great job, that Steve is going to do a great job, and we are going to be a lot happier. And I saw a post, I haven't watched the video yet, but one of our Mets fan friends on Twitter says that he wants Met fans to stop sounding or that we're starting to sound like Yankee fans. And I actually thought about that about a month or so ago. I was like, man, some of these fans are starting to sound like Yankee fans. And honestly, what's the thing that you don't like about the Yankees? I mean, I don't like the Yankees, but what I really don't like about the Yankees is their fans. So I don't want to be one of them. That's my last word. <laughs> there you go. Here, here. I'll go over to you next, Mike. I'm sorry. Was that directed at me? Yes. 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 Go ahead, Mike, with uh, your final oh, word. Oh, sorry. Well, and I, I would also like to thank you for your time and your insights this evening. You know, I mentioned moms and sisters and daughters and nieces. I failed to mention wives. <laughs> I love you, honey. <laughs> my my wife is my equal. Uh, I see her no less. So, uh, That's love so you, great. honey. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I am uh, I am up to my earlobes in winter league baseball in Puerto Rico, Venezuela, Dominican Republic, and Mexico. Championships rounds are are getting underway. Dominican Republic is done. If you're interested, another shameless plug on my part, come to brooklyntrolleyblogger.blogspot.com, get your recaps, and, uh, you know, keep your, base, keep your baseball mind busy here in January and February. Uh, thank you so much, Mike, and I'll loop back over to Rich for his final word. 
Take it away, Rich. Uh, my final word would be interested. You know, I'm, I'm very interested to see how the Mets take these next three weeks. And of course, you can make moves during spring training, but we're about weeks from um, pitchers and catchers. And as we talked about, you know, there are some holes to fill, including the GM office, right? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they approach this. Um, if they do what we're hearing and they go with like an Albert Almora kind of a guy for center field, maybe like a late inning defensive replacement for Nimmo, we will start to hear, you know, same old Mets, you know, they're taking the cheap route. They passed on Springer, they passed on Bradley. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they, how they do that. Where will they come out on the Bauer thing? And if, the, if not Bauer, and I hope it isn't Bauer, how do they shore up the rotation? I'm fascinated by that. Will they go after Brad Hand? How will they enhance the bullpen? So I'm very interested. And what will they do about the GM role? Will it be Sandy all year? Will, um, you know, will they, they go on an active search for a GM? There are a lot of interesting subplots to this team at this point. Um, so that, that would be my final word. Thank you all. And thank you all for listening. And I, I believe for me, the only place I can go with my final word, and I'll, I'll keep it relatively short, do better. Act better, be better. Stop hollering, be respectful, act respectful, be remorseful. Make an effort to understand, make an effort to be empathetic, and stop shrugging it off as as nonsense. It isn't nonsense. We can all do better. And as much as we want our baseball team to do better, we as individuals and as a collective can do better. So do better, be better. And the only other way to finish this off is let's go Mets. Again, Anna, thanks again, all you listeners. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Rich. Take care, everybody. Good night. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining. Always a pleasure. You're, You're welcome.